is a disciplined life. And I feel like that, that can intimidate me a bit because discipline is definitely not one of my strong points. I didn't grow up in a home where my parents made me do my homework. Uh, it was very much go with the wind, you know. My mother was good to me. She let me prioritize playing football over schoolwork. So I was happy about that. But I didn't really learn or any, thank you, any distilled practices to discipline myself as I grew up. So it's been a journey, and especially, you know, when you go to study and you have the expectations of university and all those things, there's a heavy expectation that you're, you're going to need discipline to, to accomplish those things. So by the grace of God, I've, I've been developing in that area. But I want to talk about discipline today. And uh, I thought I would start out by referencing uh, Ezekiel 47. I'd like to read this passage for you because to me this sums up an invitation that's available to us. So Ezekiel 47 from verse 3. And when the man went out to the east with the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits. A cubit's like a measurement, like an inch or a meter. 1,000 cubits. And he brought me through the waters. The water came up to my ankles. Again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters. The water came up to my knees. Again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through. The water came up to my waist. Again, he measured 1,000 and it was a river that I could not cross for the water was too deep. Water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. He said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me and returned me to the bank of the river. So Ezekiel's river is a symbolic river, a life-giving spirit. And it, thro- it, it flows from the presence of God. And it just paints this beautiful picture of the level of immersion that I feel that I've had and we can have as believers. Because if you, you know, you can be ankle deep in water, you know, you've got your feet in, you've got your feet wet, but ankle deep in water isn't really going to, you know, it's not going to move you, is it? It's not going to have an impact. You can comfortably walk in ankle deep water. But then if you go into knee deep water, if there's a bit of a current, you know, and you can feel a rip or something, you can start to feel the pull. And it can start to have a bit of an influence, but it's not going to probably pull you over. You can walk around in knee-deep water, especially if there's no current. But then you start to get into waist-deep water, and you're starting to get into that territory where if a current came now, I could easily be swept off my feet. And eventually this river just becomes this, this current that Ezekiel can't even cross. You know, you have to swim. He's, he's swept away in the flow. And I've read that over the years, and it's a beautiful, it can be a beautiful picture of how, as Christians, we can, we can dabble, you know. We can stay within our comfort zones. We can dip our feet in, and we can have the appearance of, you know, of Christian life. But there's so much more available. <clears throat> and, I, and I really believe that our, it's, 
it's the disciplines that we establish that are going to position us to be in the flow of that stream of living, life-giving water. And when Sarah was saying about <clears throat> the way that the Lord moved in that, in that moment, and it just made me think water can get into the smallest crack, can't it? Water will find a way. It'll get through, right? If there's the smallest crack, the water gets in. So, you know, my, my message is essentially to just ha have a look at that. What does it look like to be in full immersion? And how do we abide in constant communion with God? Another message, another message paraphrase from 1 Peter chapter 1, 18 to 21, says this, Your life is a journey. You must travel with a deep consciousness of God. It cost God plenty to get you out of that dead-end, empty-headed life you grew up in. He paid with Christ's sacred blood, you know. He died like an unblemished sacrificial lamb. And this was no afterthought, even though it has only lately, at the end of the ages, become public knowledge, God always knew he was going to do this for you. It's because of this sacrificed Messiah, whom God then raised from the dead and glorified, that you trust God, that you know you have a future in God. And I've always just thought, I slip in and out of my consciousness of God. I would love to be one of those sons who lives with a deep consciousness of God. You know? That's the revealing of the sons, isn't it? Those who are led by the Spirit. That's a continual leading. So we get this synergy between God's grace, his part, what he's done for us by grace, but our response. Faith is our action. Faith is our response to what God's done. And so when it comes to discipline, I feel like self-control, the fruit of the Spirit, is actually spiritual power that's available to us by faith. And we get to express that self-control by practicing spiritual disciplines. So again, it's a gift. It's been made available to us in the Spirit the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. There it is. So no one can say, oh, I can't, I can't discipline myself, I can't control myself. No, we've, it's been made available to us. I've been using that excuse for a long time, but it actually doesn't work. Because the Bible says that he's given us the fruit of the Spirit, and one of them is self-control. That means I'm able to control myself. So I'll give you a great example. Breakfast the other morning. We've got a freezer under the house. We live in an elevated house. We had to go down and get the bread out of the freezer. So I went down there so I could make some toast with the bread. And on the way down, some of the plants were wilting in one of the pots. I thought, oh, I'll quickly water those plants. So got the hose out and watered a few of the plants and watered a few more and did a bit of a section over here, got them all drenched up. That was good. And then I was putting the hose away and I saw that my shovel, the handle had broken and I'd got a spare shovel handle and I thought, oh, I'll just quickly fit that, I'll get that on. It's quite tricky to get the old one out though when it snapped, but it was a bit of messing around. So finally I got that sorted out and then something else happened and then something else. And by the time I got back with the bread up for, up upstairs, it was lunchtime. 
It's not a true story. But it's something that, you know, probably would happen to me. <laughs> but it's like that, that loss of focus, right? You know, I lost focus. I wasn't focused enough. So I was just... And before I knew I'd wasted half a day. You know? So I don't think we're going to get into those deep places of God unless we've got some established disciplines in our lives. You know, a ministry, good things can be the distraction. You can fill up those watering the garden, fixing the shovel with anything really that could be good. But if it's not founded on that intimacy and relationship with God and coming from that place of overflow, you know, then you've missed the point. You're just busy. You're just a sounding gong, really. So, focus. To magnify the light of God in our lives by focusing on Him. Sounds like a plan. <clears throat> Matthew 6 says, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? We need that single-eyed focus, that determination to consistently seek the Lord. And the eye in this, in this verse is a metaphor of spiritual perception, and the body is our spirit, and the teachings <clears throat> of Jesus are the revelation light. And darkness is formed by the lies and the opinions that ultimately blind us. And so we need that immersion in Scripture into the truth to set us free. We need that washing of the Word, the regeneration of the Word of God to set us free. And, you know, with my sense of frustration of how easily I can drift, I think if I could get a tattoo, I'd get eternity tattooed on my eyeballs. So it would just constantly be in front of me. What am I living for? Am I living for this temporal 70 plus years if I'm lucky on planet Earth? Or am I living for a spiritual reality, you know, that is eternal? I want the word to dwell in me richly. It says that in Colossians 3, as we're putting on the new self, let the word of Christ dwell, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So the word of Christ, it's obviously, you know, that immersion in scripture 
but it's also from that place of intimacy where you're hearing his voice and you're getting the opportunity to respond and to obedient to be obedient to what he's calling you to and as soon as I was thinking of his voice and and his word it was it was back to the river his voice was like the roar of many waters and the earth shone with his glory that's also from Ezekiel So we have the good shepherd who leads us beside still waters and I want to follow him deeper and I I want to establish those patterns in my life, those disciplines that are actually going to enable that to happen. But it's the Holy Spirit ultimately who produces that desire in me and the power to train ourselves to be godly is also from the Holy Spirit. But we, our task, our responsibility is to cooperate with what he's doing. That requires something of us. It's not just Holy Spirit does everything, we just sit back. It's actually this participation. It says in the Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you to will and to act on behalf of his good purpose. So we have the responsibility to be training our souls for godliness. But I really, I don't sort of see it like that as my ambition because I feel like, like godliness is actually a byproduct of our intimacy and our relationship with God. Like I'm actually pursuing intimacy with the Lord. That's what I'm pursuing. But godliness is the, is the overflow of that, isn't it? I want that deep consciousness of his presence. I want that mystical union, that awareness of him and to walk with him and abide. So he's, he's made that available, but faith is my action. And a Hebrew version, a, a Hebrew knowing is an experiential knowing. Like in our Greek mindset, we think we know something because we've read it and we believed it or we heard it. But in a Hebrew knowing is you have to have done it to know, right? So imagine you've, you've seen the, the recipe, you've watched Jamie Oliver do it on TV, you've got the recipe, right? You've got all those ingredients. Can you bake the cake? I would say yes. Of course I can bake the cake. Can't be that hard. Look at Jamie, right? So, but in, in actual fact... Until I've baked the cake, I can't say that I know how to bake the cake. Right? That's true knowing. And I think it's the same with our, um, <clears throat> you know, faith without works is dead, isn't it? James 1 puts it this way, 22 to 25. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror... For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. In other words, that's who you've become, you know. Look in the mirror and see who you are. And then don't forget, go and live accordingly, you know. You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Now go and be light. Don't walk away and forget. 
You know, you can't change who you are because that's what he's done. He's regenerated your spirit. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, sounds like discipline to me, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So we're seeing our involvement. Some people call it appropriating the victory. Now, you're not trying to win the fight. He won the fight for us. And we live in that victory that he won for us. We appropriate what he's done. And, and it, you know, we make it real in our lives. In Philippians 2, verse 1, straight off the bat, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, there it is right there, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. There's that single-eyed focus again, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened. Jesus himself called us the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A light isn't hidden, it's put on a lampstand. Shine, you know. As I was preparing this word, I asked myself this question. Is becoming a mature manifestation of Christ, or does becoming a mature manifestation of Christ, mean as much to me as a gold medal means to an Olympic contestant? No, was my answer. If you think about what those guys put in to achieve that high goal of an Olympic medal, of their single-eyed focus for their determination, I don't come close to that level of discipline and pursuit. But that, that spurs me on. That actually encourages me. I'm not condemned by that because there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I'm free of shame, guilt, and condemnation. So when those thoughts come knocking, I'm like, hang on a minute, that's not the voice of the Father. I actually don't have to come under that. You know, when you wake up on a Sunday morning and you're getting slammed and you've got to get up and preach and you're being told how unworthy you are, I think, hang on a minute. I've got an adversary. Get behind me, Satan. (laughs) That's not the voice of my Father. He's just merciful and encouraging every time. So I'm not disqualified after all. So practice makes perfect. Philippians 3, Paul again, it is not as though I had already attained it, nor were already perfect, but I follow after that I may apprehend that for which Christ Jesus also apprehended me. Perfect. It's a scary word because, you know, we don't fully reach perfection until the consummation of the age when Christ returns, as my understanding goes, you know. But we are pursuing wholeness, completeness. 
to lack nothing, to be fully mature, to be well-rounded, to be spiritually mature. That's perfection. To be going after those things and not relenting. Revealing the fruit of God's Spirit in us. And we could get back into the analogy of the river right there because fruit trees, where do they prosper? By the river that flows through the, from the throne, bearing its fruit in every season and the leaves that heal the nations. And who are we? The oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. That we might be... Remember that song? First Timothy chapter 4. From verse 6. By pointing out these things to the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished by the words of faith and sound instruction that you have followed. But reject irreverent silly myths. Instead, here it is folks, train yourself for godliness. For physical exercise is of limited value, but godliness is valuable in every way, holding promise for the present life and for the one to come. How cool is that? Fruitful across dimensions. This is a trustworthy saying, worthy of full acceptance. To this end we labor and strive because we have set our hope on the living God who is the savior of everyone and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Again, laboring and striving, dirty words in the Pentecostal world. It's a free gift, mate, don't you know? But there is this, you know, collaboration. And I actually think that that's the beauty of what God's done, is he's provided us with the opportunity to co-labor with him, to participate, you know, I just think that's beautiful. What an incredible way to overthrow the devil with us, to restore his kingdom in in the earth through the saints. Nothing could tick the devil off any more than that. Colossians 1.29, more striving, folks. To this end I also labor, striving with all his energy, working powerfully within me. Hooray, it's his energy. And how do we get his energy? I'm positive that it's in that river. We know that lovers always outwork workers. We know that love compels us. If we can just tap in and experience his love, man, that's the, that's the powering, empowering presence right there. That's the, the grace of God in our lives. So the discipline that I'm going after is ultimately the pursuit of him. Now, there's lots of spiritual disciplines and we, and we teach on those and we give you guys keys and all that kind of thing. But ultimately, the, the, the pearl of great price is, is him. Is to know him. That's what's available to us through the regeneration of our spirit. To be one with the Lord and to know him. So 
we get to pursue him and capture his heart and then we're compelled by love we're propelled we're sown we're, we're, we're thrust into the world as his ambassadors so there's lots of disciplines that we practice but ultimately it's an act of love you know it's a discipline to serve the church that's a spiritual discipline everyone in here should serve the church that's what we do we're a family but we don't do it because of a sense of obligation we do it out of love Naomi jumps up and leads worship because she loves you guys and us and wants us to be able to host the presence today and we haven't got a worship leader today so she jumps up and serves that's a spiritual discipline to do that but it's compelled by love I'm so confident that any investment of time that we make and devotion that we pour in to knowing the Lord will result in us increasing in our authority and being able to advance the kingdom with authority and yeast is a very small thing that can make the whole lump of bread rise we just need to get a bit of that kingdom yeast into our loaves and we can see a epic transformation we only need a tiny amount of this kingdom yeast to make the whole lump it'll get it'll get into everything it'll permeate the entire lump and then we'll be the bread of life in this earth won't we so it's the Holy Spirit that keeps us helps us prompts us and produces the desire in us to persevere <clears throat> we know that Christianity is not plain sailing be nice if it was but it's storms and high seas we're gonna need him and it's actually okay to pray that you'd pray more you know it's actually okay to be like praying that God give me discipline it's okay to ask him like let's get to the bottom line here and go God I need help with my discipline levels I need help with reading my word it's okay to pray for that because that's what we're going to do today we're going to pray for one another that we'd stir up and that we'd leave here having the elders lay hands on us and like with a renewed passion even if all we do is go away and pray that we'd pray more and see what happens pray that we'd be more disciplined and see what happens we need him to need him it's okay and he's for us hey so who can be against us I'm going to close by reading some apostolic prayers and if we could put on some music and I'd love to lay hands on all of you but whoever's keen you've got to come to this section of orange carpet down here
and our leaders and elders are going to lay hands on you guys to have fresh fire to pursue the Lord. Fresh fire for discipline. Fresh fire to exercise the self-control that we've been given in our lives.